Hello friends, and welcome to The Membership, a podcast about the works and life of Wendell Berry, the farmer, poet, novelist, essayist, activist, and thinker. My name is Jason Hardy, and I'm joined by two fellow members. This is John Pattison. This is Tim Watson. Well, hey guys, we, uh, we've we arrived at our first poetry episode. This is, uh, I should have mentioned, uh, episode three. Um, so we are uh, introducing today the third person of the Wendell Berry genre trinity. So <laughs> said we've made our first cycle. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So before we jump into the poems that we read for today, I wonder if you guys might indulge me a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but uh, you know when I meet and talk with other Wendell Berry appreciators, uh, usually the uh, the conversation ends up with us comparing um, sort of our our ranking of his work in the three genres: poetry, fiction, nonfiction. So I I'd love to hear from you guys which which genre do you think is his strongest, or or I guess has stood out most to you. Well, actually, for me, I think my, I don't know if I, if I could say if it, that it's his strongest, but it is certainly my favorite, and that's actually the poetry. Um, I've been looking forward to getting into talking about the poetry, as, as I'm sure we'll get into our poems for today in his, you know, vast collection of, of works of poetry. Um, like, these are among my least favorite. Uh, still, still really good. Still a lot to talk about, but man, I I love his poetry. I have made a regular practice of reading his poetry, both the the collected poems as well as the sa- the Sabbath poems. Um, often in the, in the morning, uh, I'll read a poem or two before I start my own writing, just as a sort of way of getting connected with with language. I think that they are often a really lovely distillation of of his ideas and values um and when i recommend books to to people i will often i guess i'll ask some questions first but i'm just as likely to recommend a book of poetry as i am anything else and and in fact i will often recommend his poetry to people I know who don't often read poetry. I think hmm. that hmm. uh, I've I've noticed folks collect, uh, connecting quite a bit with that. Again, maybe especially his his Sabbath poems. Yeah, I think I've given away four or five copies of the uh, Timbered Choir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over the years, it's just one of those that you're just kind of eager to just pass along to somebody. For me, I would say I would go with the fiction. For me, and I've. I've uh, I've talked before about how the the essays are what I'm just least familiar with. I just haven't spent as much time in those as I have in the other two genres. But I, I kind of I think I'm drawn to the fiction in large part because the things that I get from his poetry and that I get from the essays that I do read, I feel like they get injected into the fiction as well. Hmm. I'm sure it happens in the other direction too, but it's like you read his novels and you see the the messages and. Uh, not all of them, but some, you know, the messages of his essays get integrated in as a story, and you see it happening. Um, and then same with the poetry and the language. I think the way that he writes, his language in writing his fiction and writing his poetry isn't that far off from one another, especially the later uh, later poems. Um, I think these earlier ones are a little more like 
poemy. <laughs> then, then he gets a. I'll get into that later, but I just feel like his poems later on breathe a lot more, uh, and it mirrors his fiction. So I think that's I think that's the reason why I'm drawn there, and of course the reason that I that I'm I started with the fiction. So it's always just kind of special to me. That's what I return to most often. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's actually the the nonfiction, um, <laughs> and, and we I didn't think plan this, folks. We yeah, we really, <laughs> yeah, we really didn't. We didn't. We didn't have this conversation before uh, we got on. Honestly, <laughs> the nonfiction, I guess, is just what I've read most of, and and I've probably read the least of his his poetry. Um, I've read a good bit of it, but but certainly not all. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the nonfiction is always just. Sort of what stood out to me is uh, he he really helped me sort of expand my definitions of things as a as a person as a thinker um, as someone who considers myself a Christian and uh, yeah so I think that that his nonfiction hit me right at the right time I think and so it, it it's definitely had the most impact on me I guess I'd say. So, so that's and cool. Jason, Jason, are you? I know Tim. I, I know that you're a writer and that you write uh, fiction among other things. And so, I'll, this is a question for both of you. But I, I actually don't know Jason well enough yet to know if you're a writer as well. And if so, I'm curious. Within those respective genres, Tim for you the fiction, Jason mm-hmm. for you the nonfiction. Have they changed? Do you feel like they uh, affect how you write? I'd say for myself, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I don't do much writing um, these days, but but I do enjoy writing nonfiction actually, and 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 that's partly because I was exposed to Wendell Berry's nonfiction around the time when I was in college, you know, studying, studying, you know, taking a lot of writing classes. Um, so absolutely, uh, he's influenced his nonfiction has influenced my writing. Yeah, I think I think to a certain extent, I, I don't think the style that I tend to write in sounds much like Wendell Berry's stuff. I think there are other writers that I probably am more like. If you read it on the page, you would see more of a direct influence, like who I'm trying to copycat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost just, I, and when I when I read Wendell Berry's stuff, I don't ever I don't know. It doesn't translate into my own writing because I feel like his comes from wherever he is like it comes from his place and i can't and i think there might have been a time where i try to like mimic it uh, but he, it just doesn't happen and i and i don't enjoy doing that but i think maybe for the, the the biggest influence that it has on my writing is trying to write something that has the same kind of heartbeat mm. to it or the same sort of soul at the center of it that it just feels I guess it does. It does affect my my fiction writing in that I feel like I'm trying to write my own version of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't sound like him, but just you know, my stories end up talking about my home and my place, yeah. and trying to make him just as grounded. It seems like so. uh, that that's what he would prefer. When I was in yeah. a senior and not not really a senior, but like late high school, early college, I was just starting to read like books that weren't the Hardy Boys. <laughs> I, read, <laughs> I read the Hardy Boys uh, way, way, way too late. <laughs> nice. Into, you know, as, as, a, as a teenager. Uh, so I remember discovering the short stories of O. Henry, and I read uh-huh. so much O. Henry that 
my writing began style began to mimic his and it took mm-hmm. me years to <laughs> disentangle <laughs> o henry from my writing i wish i had been reading wendell berry all that time <laughs> right. so that it sounded more i don't know that it had more wendell berry like qualities than o henry <laughs> hey, could have been worse though yeah yeah it's Oh, Henry's. Could have been. Oh gosh, what's the guy's name who uh, wrote the Hardy Boys? Forget. I forget. Franklin W. Dixon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's it. We actually just bought. We went to a trip to Hendersonville and bought Henry his first two Hardy Boy books. Nice. To read read aloud to him sometime soon. Yeah. Jason, are you uh, any any relation? <laughs> you know, I'm not. Uh, no. I, I was I was considering whether I would uh, whether I would share this, but uh, to risk too too much of a tangent, <laughs> I'll say that I went back went back home and visited my parents, and uh, my mom had pulled out this book that I, that uh, I had written in third grade. One of those, like you know, just plain white books that you you know you wrote in, and they had you illustrate, uh-huh. you know. Uh, and I wrote this thing called a Hardy Boys Christmas, uh, <laughs> and uh, the 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 picture on the front was a wreath with sticks of dynamite coming out of it. So, <laughs> so. here's your album cover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. I, but we should talk about yeah. someone else's book. Uh, <laughs> We can talk about my book that I've got sitting right over here on the shelf that I wrote when I was in there. You go, kindergarten. Yeah, it's called the Chicago Bulls. Nice. So we'll, we'll save that for another day. Good, good. I hope to hear about it. <laughs> so for today, we have read some selections from uh, Wendell Berry's first collection of poems called The Broken Ground. This was published in 1964. So Barry had published some other poetry before this. He had had several poems published in journals like Poetry Magazine um, and things like that. And uh, he also had, this same year, a poem published about the death of uh, John F. Kennedy and I know, I, I actually have not read this, but I know both of you guys have. Do you guys want to say just a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah, it's a, the, the title of it is November 26, 1963. And it's, a, it's basically one poem that's an entire book. It's been spread over the course of a book. And the poem has been paired with illustrations uh, by a guy named, is it Ben? Sh- oh, man. Ben Sean, maybe? S-H- ben Sean. Oh yeah, because it's handwritten, so it's hard. To, yeah, but yeah. I think it's Ben Sean. Uh, yeah. So these poems are the or the uh, the images that are that are drawn with it are very uh, kind of like pen and ink. They look like, or maybe um, like oil paint or something. It's kind of hard to tell with the printing, but yeah, it was. It came out in 1963, I believe, or the the poem itself was copyrighted in 1963. The drawings from Ben Sean are are 1964. He must have. You know, Wendell Berry must have published this poem immediately um, after uh, the assassination of, of Kennedy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting little book. It doesn't feel quite like anything else that Wendell Berry produced, which I'm sure you, you know, would agree with being the first thing. I mean, so much has happened since then. But uh, John, what were your uh, first impressions of it? I, w- I thought it was, I was really moved by it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I should say that the co- the used copy that was sent to me 
uh, reeks of gasoline. <laughs> I think it had been <laughs> oh, wow. in storage in somebody's garage for years. And so I had to air it out before I actually <laughs> could really read it. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was really lovely. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that he doesn't, I mean, obviously he's talking about the assassination, but he didn't choose to write about the, the day of the assassination. He is writing about the day of the funeral. Um, mm-hmm. which was an, I think an interesting artistic choice. Yeah. It just, he, I think he captures sort of the mood of a country that's trying to figure out how they're going to go on that the, like the world has now fundamentally changed with the death of this popular young president with the, with a young family. And he just seemed to embody so much promise. And now I know they have to, to to go on yeah i thought it was really lovely yeah the, the i guess it does in some ways and we'll talk about this in more detail in a little bit but this poem feels more like later wendell berry yeah. than some of the poems that we read now mm-hmm. uh, that we're gonna read which i guess in theory were written before this i would assume that a large number of them would have been written before this but uh, and i can just read like the first few pages mm-hmm. I mean, i'll read the whole poem but just to get give people kind of a feel of it um in these first, I'll read three pages, and the images are, one is uh, trees in wintertime, kind of at, at dark, um, really stark contrasts, and then one tree in the middle is broken and has fallen down, and there's a picture of a man on the ground, uh, his face covered by his, it looks like his coat, uh, and then the, uh, the next is of a bird. So, we know the winter earth upon the body of the young president and the early dark falling. We know the veins grow qu- grown quiet in his temples and wrists and his hands and eyes grown quiet. We know his name written in the black capitals of his death and the mourners standing in the rain and the leaves falling. We know his death's horses and drums, the roses, bells, candles, crosses, the faces hidden in veils. So every, every page, that was actually the first four, but um, every page begins with the phrase "we know," hmm. so it's. I would definitely recommend it. It's uh, unfortunately we, we didn't mention that it's out of print, but you can find used copies. I think I got mine for about six or seven dollars on Amazon. And uh, why do you think this poem isn't included in the collected poems? That's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe it is just so different in terms of. I mean, in style, maybe it's more similar to uh, some of his later work, but. I don't know subject matter it just doesn't seem to fit with most of most of what he writes in poetry i don't know yeah i guess he doesn't he doesn't yeah i guess he doesn't write that much uh, or i don't i i don't know his poetry well enough to be able yeah, to I guess, say this i don't either but but like uh topical poems right yeah there are po- so i was thinking about that that's a, that is a good question as to why it's not included uh but i because i can think of some poems that are in here that uh, or in the new collected poems that reference Vietnam, hmm. uh, that reference the Cold War. Yeah, it's a good, really good question. I'm not sure. So yeah, I, I think it's a. I mean, it's worth having, and you know, Wendell Berry fans would would really love it. It's, I guess, it's also a, sort of a precursor to his later uh, poems, paired with with images with the wood woodcut um, images down the road. This is this is much more. It, it very much feels like a, a product of the '60s. Hmm. It looks like looks like the 60s and then sounds like the 60s. I don't know. 
I'd, I'd recommend it, and we, I don't want to read the entire thing over here, but if you're able to pick up a copy, it's a, it's, it's worth the, worth the seven dollars and the about three minutes of reading it. So. Yeah, great. Well, to move on then to the broken ground, I guess I should say we are all reading from the the what I'm assuming are a uh, a collection of about twenty poems from that from the broken ground that that is in the new collected poems that was uh, put out in 2012. So that's that's sort of the the source material we're working uh, we're working with. If you're reading along with us at home, uh, I thought what I might do, you know, we have j- such a developed idea of who Wendell Berry is, obviously now, and you know he's the he's the writer who moved back home and started farming and and writes about agrarian themes and and things like this, but. This is when Wendell Berry was uh, relatively unknown. This was his first full collection of poems. So I figured I've got, I found a picture of the uh, original dust jacket of the broken ground and I figured I'd read the sort of introductory copy that's on the dust jacket there and, and see what you guys' reaction to how they're presenting him is. It says, uh, a young writer who's no, whose poem November 26, 1960. Three uh, with drawings by Ben Sean, published in the spring of 1964, was an immediate bestseller. Offers here a particularly satisfying first book of poetry, characterized by quiet strength and a serenity based on a compassionate understanding of the human condition. That's a super long sentence. Um, uh, a countryman born and reared, Wendell Berry is predominantly a pastoral poet. He writes about the elemental things of life and death and love, turning constantly to the natural world for his imagery. He writes of snow and rain and the waters of the earth, of birds and blooming trees, of country sounds and the qualities of light. The river runs to moon forever. The clear light rings with bees. Particularly in a number of extended poems and poem sequences, the mood is reflective, musing, elegiac. But there is humor too, and even occasional satiric thrust or flash of anger. Subtlety lies beneath the immoderate, forthright simplicity, and apparent effortless effortlessness may initially conceal the fact that this is highly disciplined writing. Instantly appealing as they are, Wendell Berry's poems gain added stature as the reader comes to know them better and perceive fully their beauty and their unobtrusive power. So this is how the publishers chose to uh, to introduce Wendell Berry. What, what do you guys What do you guys think about that? Well, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, it's like that's yeah. a pretty it's a pretty epic uh, epic introduction no kidding, for right? him. Uh, especially for a first time, you know, first the first book published or the first full book of a collection of poems published. Yeah, I, I did get hung up right at the beginning on the fact that they said November twenty sixth, nineteen hundred sixty three was an instant bestseller. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, like, I don't doubt it because I mean, it's I mean, it's a powerful little book, but that kind of explains why I was sort of shocked that it was so easy to find the book. Um, mm-hmm. If you look it up, it's there are used copies on Amazon, it's on eBay, it's on rare book sites, it's like all over the place. So I guess there were a lot more of them out there than I realized. But that it's interesting to think of him as a uh, <laughs> almost like the literary equivalent of a, a a musician who like all of a sudden gets a hit song and then comes out with an album, you know. 
it's, it's, it's an interesting way to start. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I actually really liked how they were. I mean, and I think the the description sort of carries along with his with his poems um, that they're instantly appealing. They're they're sort of accessible, but the more you pay attention to them, sort of the more you get out of them. Um, I mm-hmm. think that 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 could do as a um, general description of his poetry as a whole. I agree. Yeah. I, I will I'll say that to me that feels less true of this particular collection <laughs> than that's, other collections. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say is that I, I feel like even the introduction was describing his later poems. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Go no, ahead. that's it. I didn't have any more. Cool. <laughs> well yeah, well why don't we jump in then? What what was you guys' sort of reaction to to these poems from the Broken Ground? So I love his poetry so much that, uh, and there are certain poems of his that are among my all-time favorite poems by any of anybody. That Wendell Berry himself has set, set the standard pretty high, and I'm not saying that these poems don't meet the standard. They're just so different than the poems that I initially connected with reading his stuff. That I found these. Overly, I, you know, I, honestly, I felt there were a couple of them that I felt were, I would even describe as difficult um, mm. and not very accessible. I thought that they tended toward the abstract, whereas even though he talks a lot in his poetry about about the things that he values, I feel like they're rooted in particular places and particular people. And there were some of those in here for sure, but... There were there were times at, at which I felt like he was was I don't know like drifting somehow, and I also know that part of this is that a lot of these, the 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 poems that are from the broken ground that are included in the new collected poems, are city poems, and that's just very very different, um, and people who love Wendell Berry and live in the city I don't but live in the city maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe they'll connect with these more than I did. But yeah, it was they. They were, yeah, they were just they were very different. And there's a reason why I had only read these poems from this collection one time before, like, needing to read them for the podcast because I thought, well, one time is enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I felt like. And, and I, I'm trying to think of a way to say this. It's not as harsh as I mean it to sound, but when I read these, my first reaction was like, these are very grad student mm. e poems. Mm-hmm. You know, like these, these, these feel like they were written in grad school. They're very good for for being written in grad school, or like by a by a student. But they just had that feeling of like he was trying to he was trying to find his voice and he was feeling out like where he fits uh, as far as his form of his poems and the subject matter of his poems because like you said these are and and jason you had mentioned this the other day that just they're as well they're they're urban surprisingly urban poems Mm -hmm. um and there are points in it where he seems angry and he seems just kind of unsettled i guess is maybe a better word than angry and as we know not i guess not too long after this he ends up going back to kentucky yeah, that's um, right. I don't remember exactly when that is, but he he's heading back, and so I was I couldn't help. I, re- I read the poems again today, and just the thought crossed my mind of like these are poems by a guy who just really needs to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> he, he really needs to be 
back in Kentucky because uh, I think he's he's wrestling with these I don't know like almost like wrestling with these demons a little bit in this in this collection where he's talking about you know our the the version of ourself who's dying like just walking ahead of us and like walking inevitably towards their end and and then he writes a lot about I don't know how you call them like these like vagrant personalities yeah. who are kind of passing through towns and like aren't at home anywhere it's like dude read your own poem go home <laughs> I guess I guess he did but but uh yeah I mean, there were there were points of it where you could where he the the Wendelberry I know better you know sparkled through in, in certain lines and you'd get these little tastes of of what he was going to become but then that makes it fascinating in its own strange way for basically hearing a poet find his voice and that's i'm glad he included it in the in the collection and didn't bury him or well no pun intended yeah. but yeah you know that's a that yeah. is a really that is totally fair and a good point like it, it even though they're not my favorite i'm glad that we get to see uh traces of sort of the of of his of the journey that he's on as a as a person you know being in in new york city and then going back to kentucky but also as a writer it's interesting i had i pulled up the 1965 review from the new york times of this collection you could, it's it's archived in the, on the New York Times. There's not a single mention of him being a Kentucky writer. Oh wow! Uh, no mention of, of of Kentucky at all. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I like to say we'll have to save that link and we can put it in the show notes because that'd yeah. be interesting to share. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I I think I agree. I I definitely agree with you guys. This is this is definitely early work. He is absolutely trying to find his voice, um, and he is trying some different things. And, and there is some definite spitefulness that's coming out in some of these poems. But at the same time, you know, these you, you mentioned the vagrant personalities, Tim, that, that he, he sort of latches onto in some of the poems. I mean, I feel like there's some, some genuine empathy in there, too. Um, mm-hmm. alongside that, that, that I really appreciated. So, um, I mean, he's in, in one of the poems, um, I should probably say, uh, which one it is, uh, he's writing about a, I guess, basically like a, it seems like a homeless person maybe, uh, who's walking down the street, uh, in the middle of the day, just singing at the top of his lungs. And just sort of that is an image, and it and he's not casting this. He, I mean, he's casting this in definitely like a positive light. And you know, then there's the uh, the blind guy playing a mandolin in the mm-hmm. subway tunnel, and you know, you can tell Wendell Berry doesn't like the subway tunnel, but he he really appreciates the beauty that this this mandolin player is throwing into that place so i i actually am really to go by singing was the first one yeah yeah to go by (laughs) singing singing. yeah thanks um the second one is a music so like i i'm actually probably more drawn towards urban imagery personally so i appreciated that about these poems even though i think you all are absolutely right that that he's he's definitely finding himself here and there is that sort of edge to some of these poems that you can just kind of tell he's not, he's a little unsettled. You know, I, Jason, to go along with the, the two poems that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, 
there's a another one similar to that uh, called the guest where he is has encountered a man who's asking for money and he has the you know the man has his hand out um, and in that poem Wendell Berry is much more difficult much much harder on himself than he is on on the man asking for money he says Wendell Berry says about himself I am I nearly believe the Samaritan who fell into the ambush of his heart on the way to another place my stranger waits his hand held out like something to read as though its emptiness is an accomplishment I gave him a smoke and the price of a meal no more not sufficient kindness or believable sham. I paid him to remain strange to my threshold and table, to permit me to forget him, knowing I won't. He's the guest of my knowing, though not asked. Yeah. This guy's like holding out his, his hand, an open hand, waiting to, to receive something from Barry. And in reaching out and giving him just enough, Barry's able to keep him at arm's length. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so true, right? I mean, that like, that's definitely an experience mm-hmm. I've had. Uh, yeah. I've felt like, you know, I've, I've, I've handed people some money and just, if I'm honest about my motivations, it's just to sort of not feel bad about myself and to be able to move on with my day, you know? I've, I've heard the phrase toxic charity used. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you exactly what they mean by that, right. but it that it's that's what came to mind reading that poem. Like, here's a charity. That, it's just enough charity to uh, make you feel like you're freed from responsibility of actually developing relationships. Right, right. Yeah, and, and so I do that too. so it's toxic for us as as the ones who would be extending mm-hmm. the charity, right? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. For sure. Um, well, I think I, you know, one of the we've talked about the 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 urban setting of most of these poems, which is which really is if, if you're used to the Wendell Berry of the Sabbath poems, it's really kind of disorienting to to drop mm-hmm. into this collection yeah, and have mm-hmm. uh, have all of that uh, have all of that there. Um, one of the themes that seems to be sort of going throughout a lot of these poems is uh, is the idea of death and sort of reckoning with death. And I wondered if I could share it's a it's a short it's a short poem, uh, but I think it's it's my favorite from this collection. Um, and I think a really interesting one to think about in terms of um, you know, I'm always probably going to be drawn to Wendell Berry's thinking about religion. And, uh, and, and this poem is, is really interesting in that light. It's called Canticle, and I'll, I'll read it here. What death means is not this, the spirit triumphant in the body's fall, praising its absence, feeding on music. If life can't justify and explain itself, death can't justify and explain it. A creed and a grave never did equal the life of anything. Yellow flowers sprout in the clefts of ancient stones at the beginning of April. The black clothes of the priest are turned against the frail yellow of sunlight and petal. They wait in their blackness to earn joy by dying. They trust that nothing holy is free. 
and so their lives are paid. Money slots in the altar rails make a jukebox of the world, the mind paying its nod coins for the safety of ignorance. Um, Those last four lines yeah. are pretty fantastic. That they, they trust that nothing holy is free. That, that one jumped out, like, mm-hmm. I mean dove off the page and just the the imagery the money slots and the altar rails make a jukebox of the world the mind paying its gnawed coins for the safety of ignorance i love that mm-hmm. that image and i mean to, so what made you what what drew you to that one yeah i mean i think it's Jason. it's uh it, it's really interesting you know I, I i mentioned that i was drawn to wendell berry particularly because he spoke about the Christian tradition in a different way than I was used to. And in a way that sort of, um, expanded my view of what was possible within the Christian tradition. Um, and I mean, this is some of the, I mean, he doesn't really have to have anything good to say about religion here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it sort of, uh, it surprised me. And yet at the same time, I mean, I think it's, it's super, relevant to me anyway um, in this question of how much of my religion is about an afterlife or you know the next world and how much of it is about living in the world that God has already created Hmm. and this sort of uh, he seems in, in a lot of these poems to be saying that in order to be free to enjoy to enjoy the world as it is, we have to reckon with death. We have to reckon with the fact that it's going to happen and that that is sort of part of natural, the natural cycles of things. And the answer is not, he seems to be saying here, to sort of put your hope in something that comes after death, but rather to um, use that to make you more appreciative of of the life that you have. No, that's what I, they, they got from that... Uh trust that nothing holy is free was a line that just spoke as as, Mm. as being about uh, the good things aren't the easy things Mm. right the good the things that make this world good and the things that make life worth living are not the things that are just the easiest and most enjoyable Um, and yeah I think it definitely when I read read this poem it it makes me feel rooted in an attitude of you know if, if you want hope in the future then you need to be like doing what you can here and now uh, in ways that are, you know, and what is a, the David Foster Wallace, like in petty, unsexy, or in, in, in not, in ways that aren't petty, little unsexy actions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, interesting. Like I, I actually read that a completely different way. Well, how did, what did you Yeah. Read? I read that as they trust that nothing holy is free, meaning uh, you're not, in the world that you're given, that we're given, there's nothing holy. We have to pay in a life of, you know, flesh denying penance essentially yeah. in order to, uh, to achieve, you know, something holy in a next life. You know, and you're, you're probably more on the right track than I do. I think I have a tendency when I read poetry to, uh, 
like I, when I when I read poetry, the things I take out of it often, I, I don't know why, but I feel okay sometimes with taking lines out of context. Oh, absolutely, and just, yeah. like, let, Letting those words sort of like wash over me and let them and just chew on them for yeah. a while. And I think, yeah, maybe when you do put it into context, it does almost take, and when you talk about those gnawed coins later on, it does put maybe a little bit more of a cynical, uh, yeah, well, if you want to be holy, then you better put something in the offering right, plate. Right. <laughs> you better pay up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I see what you're saying. I think that's a. I, I think I have a tendency to do that more than I realize. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, I you know later on, it, Wendell Berry, it, he certainly always always ambivalent about the influence of at least institutional uh, contemporary institutional Christianity on, you know, the way we think about the world, but he definitely makes his peace with the Christian tradition and, and claims it later on. I, I don't know enough about his biography to know if maybe he didn't even want to do that at this point. Um, I'm not sure. It's mm. just, yeah, something that interested me. I, those, this was uh, definitely one of my favorite poems from from the ones that we read. And uh, you mentioned the last four lines. For me, it begins, uh, and those last four lines are great, but like even in the line or two ahead of that, where uh, he talks about the black clothes of the ple- priests are turned against the frail yellow of sunlight and petal. They wait in their blackness to earn joy by dying. And throughout my reading of these poems because death really is a theme i was thinking about about a mentor of mine who died um very pretty unexpectedly maybe a week and a half ago and he was <clears throat> he was a guy who who talked a lot about heaven he had this thing that he would say and his his family knew it and i had heard it a hundred times he used to say that the best is yet to come, and yet for somehow, like uh, there's there are people who would say that who would be looking ahead to the afterlife, and would deprive themselves of all of the free and lovely gifts of this world, and he was not like that. Like hmm. he he laughed more than anyone I have ever known. Like he laughed so much that my laugh started to sound like his. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I wonder what the difference is between people who look forward to heaven and think of it as, and, you know, can say that, that the best is yet to come and it makes them just live into the earthly life with even more gusto. Uh, and then the others who say, ah, that's all going to burn anyway. So let's begin treating it like crap. (laughs) Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure the difference between... Like what, yeah, what what makes one person go one direction, the other, uh, and the other person the other direction? But yeah, I mean they're the they have their backs to the to the yellow flowers, mm-hmm. uh, right there. And I I wonder, you know, it's it, talking about the beginning of April and the priest in black clothes. I mean that made me think of like you know the uh, being in Lent. Um, around that time right uh i mean the church calendar is something that's definitely really meaningful to me in terms of a seasonality of spiritual life but it is there are times when you're struck that oh this is lent this is this period of sort of training ourselves and in, in, in penitence and and yet it's like the most beautiful time of the year <laughs> all the all the flowers are coming out and uh <laughs> yeah. what that what that made me think of for sure 
Um, yeah, that was a good choice. That's that's a that's a great poem. Yeah, Tim, what about you? What what poems sort of stood out to you? I think I'm trying to decide which one I want to bring up, and I and the one I don't know, maybe like the sleeper pick poem, like poem that I just I want to pick, and I'm not, I can't really put my finger on why, but maybe talking to you guys will help. But I uh, I'm going to read a poem called "The Wild," and this is right after to go by singing, um, and it 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 stuck out to me because of the. I, Part of it was the urban aspect of it, but in some ways I felt like he was describing an urban setting in a way that reflected the way he would someday describe the fields behind his house on his property, mm. which was which was interesting to me. So I'm gonna I'll, I'll read it. This is the wild in the empty lot, a place not natural but wild among the trash of human absence, the sloth and shamble of the city's seasons. A few old locusts bloom. A few wood birds, a few woods birds, fly and sing in the new foliage. Warblers and tanagers, birds wild as leaves, and a million each one would be rare, new to the eyes. A man couldn't make a habit of such color, such flight and singing, but they're the habit of this wasted place. In them the ground is wise. They are its remembrance of what it is. And I think those last few lines where he says in he's talking about these birds and he says in them the ground is wise and they are they are its remembrance of what it is uh, i guess the way i i read that is i'm i'm i mean hearing him write about a place that is a very urban setting that clearly wasn't always an urban setting uh forever and that like there are these little pockets that this uh this empty lot that doesn't have this one rare place that doesn't have a building put on it is kind of a holdout, a little piece of history, a little like museum to what might have been here before. There's these two old locust trees and the way that he describes their blooming and, uh, and the way that he describes these birds that just seem out of place in the city. Like where, where did they come from? They, they seem they're, they're wild as leaves and a million in each one would be rare that he's seeing in this place. And that the, that, it's, it's almost like a reminder that when even when you're in a city setting, you in an urban setting, there are lots of opportunities to see the remnants of what once was and to see them in a positive sense. To be like, uh, you know, that that notion of in them the ground is wise, in them this place still has its character down there somewhere. We can we can mourn for it, but you know that this whole place this whole thing that we're seeing right now wouldn't exist and it wouldn't be what it is without where it came from without the land and without this uh, these birds and this grass and these trees so i don't know it just it, it had that feeling of of a, of a future wendell berry poem in a way that I, it was just intriguing to me so i don't know if, if that one stuck out to you guys yeah all. i mean it really I did know. i mean that that kind of image of sort of an oasis of of the natural world within the, you know, this is New York City. Um, so the artificial urban world around it, it's its just such a, a fruitful image, a powerful image. And I like what you said about it being like a museum to the natural world. And in a lot of ways, this, this poem sort of goes hand in hand with the next one, May Song, where he's talking about in this one, the the sort of the the weeds or the flowers that are growing up uh, in between the cracks in the pavement, right? It's not so much it's a museum. It's like they are finding a way to come back, you know, uh, to sort of reclaim what was there, trying to find a, a good just 
line or two of that poem to read. But it is itself the, the possessor we know at last, seeing it send out weeds to take back whatever's left, proprietor pasturing foliage in the rubble, on the rubble, making use of the useless, a beauty we have less than not deserved. Such a, such a, great, a great image. Reminds me of uh, that book, The World After Us, or whatever it's called. Uh, that came out a few years ago that kind of like if if humans disappeared like what would happen to to uh, to nature and talking about good. like how long it would take for nature to overtake certain aspects of the cities and what would remain and what would not but the actually reading both of those poems and especially as you guys talk about them now by the way these poems are starting to grow on me now that we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> So that's something to, to, to keep in mind, uh, both for for myself and and for the listeners too. That if if there's something that doesn't doesn't connect with you, maybe maybe some conversation will help. But uh, so what they what came to mind for me is from it's one of actually one of Wendell Berry's other poems. It's called uh, "How to Be a Poet to Remind Myself." That's one of my one of my all time mm-hmm. favorites. And he says in there. He says, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. And I think in both of both of these poems, he's talking about, well, in the first, he's talking about a place that isn't desecrated yet. And in the other, I feel like he is describing perhaps a, a place that's being re-sacralized, if that's a word. Hmm. Um, and I actually feel like it's part of our... This is something I talk about with in relationship to community development. I would say that as like for faith-based, community-minded people, I believe that one of our jobs and privileges is to is the resacralization of our places. And sometimes we do that by cultivating with intention, and other times we leave well enough alone because uh, because the land will take care of it. Like there's you know a genius in each place that um uh that that's still there that still remains uh, the ground is wise as he says in the wild yeah well that, it, this reminds me you know and you're talking about that book uh about you know the earth after after humans it, it reminds me of um I, I actually discovered the poet uh sort of middle middle 20th century poet Edwin um, Muir um, from reading Wendell Berry. Um, he, he quotes him in, in several places and I think standing by words. And uh, there's, a, there's a poem that, that he has. It's called, I think it's just called The Horses. And uh, I like to describe it as, uh, as if Wendell Berry were to write a post-apocalyptic poem this would this would be it but it's basically about you know after some sort of cataclysmic event um, like a nuclear holocaust or something what the what happens to the world and and people are still around but all of their like their radios don't work anymore like there's no electricity so they sort of turn back towards like farming and it's just one of the big images that stood out to me in that poem is like all of the tractors started to be overgrown by by weeds and by the grass and you know like the earth is like swallowing them back up as a 
It's just a really powerful image. And so, are the tractors the horses? No, uh, oh, and then okay. the wild horses. The the end of the poem is the wild horses come back. Like there are oh. like herds of wild horses running around, um, mm. and they they start to come back, um, which is that'd be weird. Cool. Yeah, yeah, but, super. But no, weird. the tractors are the horses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, any other poems you guys want to talk about or any other, um, anything else you think we need to hit about the broken ground? I remember when we, right when I started reading for this episode, and this is actually, I think before we even started recording, but I was going back into the poetry and I, I was struck by the, the opening poem, uh, Elegy. Yeah. Which is a little, a little too long to read the whole thing, but. It was a little, and maybe maybe this is why he put it first, but this might be one of the most, you know, that feels like the future stuff in some ways. Uh, uh, this poem, Elegy, and maybe the reason for that is that he's writing it for uh, who I assume is his grandfather, uh, prior Thomas Berry. Yeah, I enjoyed this poem a lot, and there were some points of it that almost felt like notes of a, of a Wendell Berry origin story kind mm. of thing. And in one part that I, I had marked for that said, Behind us, rain breaks the corners of our father's house, quickens on the downslope to noise. Our steps clamor in his silence, who tracked the sun to autumn in the dust. Below the hill, the river bears the rain away that cut his fields their shape and stood them dry. You know, where he's talking about this place, and you just hear him talking about um, a place that he obviously knows well and, and understands how it works. He understands the anatomy of it. He... He feels something for it, and you know he. We we find out from him that he he inherited this land uh, from his family, and uh, this is maybe one of the more peaceful poems that that he writes in this collection. And maybe it's because he's referring back to that time or to this place. And uh, I was definitely struck struck by this poem. He says, uh, water, water wearing the earth is the shape of the earth, the river flattening in its bends, their mingling held ponderable in his words, knowledge polished on a stone. River and earth and sun and wind disjoint over his silence flows apart. His words are sharp to memory as cold rain, but are, but are not ours. We stare dumb upon the fulcrum dust across which death lifts up her love. There is no more to add to this perfection. We turn away into the shadow of his death. But I don't know if you guys would, would agree with that, but I just feel like this poem, uh, I would maybe assume, uh, was a, a later addition to the, you know, maybe one of the, the later poems that he wrote in this collection because he feels to be uh, not in the same place as he is in these kind of angsty city poems where he's talking about drifters and and sounding angry and yeah uh, we 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 didn't approach the uh the comments <laughs> about the <laughs> the comment about a certain woman airing her cat yeah. Um, yeah he's got some strong words about her but this is just a very peaceful poem yeah it definitely is and yeah absolutely out of out of these this one um this one certainly uh re reminded me more of of his later work you know him talking mm -hmm. about you know as we i guess we're presuming maybe grandfather or, or someone sort of no longer being a part of the land that he had had cared for for so long um you know, it brings me back to that 1963 poem that we started with, the very last stanza. Mm -hmm. 
Writing about John F. Kennedy, Barry said, We know the long approach of summers toward the healed ground where he will be waiting, no longer the keeper of what he was. Oh, yeah, that's a great connection. That's a, that's a great connection. Because in, yeah, in this poem, you really get that sense of this person's... Uh, is gone, but their hands have touched all of this, and they're 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 responsible for what we see, mm-hmm. uh, and for and for what we're living within. Yeah, um, and and sort of yeah. their memory is sort of enmeshed in that place. Absolutely, but I think overall, for me, I mean, I I didn't dislike this first co- collection. I was kind of fascinated by how different it was from the stuff that I'm most familiar with, which I will admit that. For me, I'm I'm most familiar with a small pocket of his poetry, and that's really the Sabbath poems that I've spent the most time with. And then some of the more recent collections, like Leavings, I read that one a lot. Um, but I, I one thing I look forward to in, in in reading these and getting to talk to you guys is to get better about <laughs> get better at talking about mm-hmm. poetry yeah, and, and 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 uh, and to put his. I'm looking forward to putting his poetry into a context, like into its context within the, because, you know, I don't think he, you know, earlier we were talking about how all of his writing kind of works together, which obviously it does. You know, it just makes sense that he, uh, that he has something to say and then he asks himself, well, how am I going to say it? And so I'd like to better understand how the the puzzle piece of, of poetry fits in with everything else and I think and this helps me a little bit uh, and it's it helps me understand where he's coming from and where he started um, and I, I still can't help but hear most of this collection as a sort of um, catalyst for where he did end up because he 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 says in I forget where we which essay it was in the long legged house where he talks about being in the city and being at like basically the pinnacle of literary culture. Like this is where everybody wants to be, right? You want to be in New York City. You want to be doing this. You want to be teaching this. You want to be writing it. And yet, he he saw the mountaintop, and what did he end up writing? And what did he end up feeling? Well, this it sounds like he felt pretty pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't feel didn't feel very good, and, and he, he was he's conflicted, and and that kind of you know catapulted him back to to where he needed to be. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of assumptions there i know on my part and i buy it but that's just that's kind of my my gut reaction my gut interpretation of of what we've read right well and you know so much of what even wendell berry writes about uh his when he writes about his writing like he did in the long-legged house like his he sees his life's vocation as a writer uh to have his place as his subject and that's just and, and, and he sort of does here in, in that, I mean, I guess he, he still has that, he's being faithful to the place that he's in, even if he doesn't think as highly of it. But, you know, it's not until he moves back to Kentucky that, that we really get the Wendell Berry that we know, because the Wendell Berry that we know is writing about that place. All right. Well, um, this has been fun, guys, talking about, uh, talking about poetry um, for the first time. Um, definitely looking forward to, to doing that some more. Yeah. Kind of finding, finding my legs personally. Yeah. Likewise. With talking about his poetry. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it 
as well. And, yeah. and I think all of us are kind of chomping at the bit to someday get, you know, it, getting to these uh, Sabbath poems, which we're like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple decades away from getting to or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't when, whenever those started. Was, was it the late 70s or was it not until the 80s that he started the Sabbath poems? I think it was in the late 70s. Yeah, that and sounds that's a couple right. Of decades 70, so. in, in Wendell Berry time, not in uh, podcast time. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, he started, Thankfully. Those started in 79. Cool. Yeah, and, and that's what I was thinking. And then, so I, I just I feel like I have to, we're going to say that kind of thing so much that um, I appreciate listeners reading along with us in this order. And I think we're trying to do it in a very intentional way that we're going through. And I'm glad we're doing it this way. But those of you who are listening, we definitely encourage you to just get the Sabbath poems out and just start reading yeah, them because yeah. they're so fantastic. Yeah, um, don't wait. So, yeah, yeah, don't absolutely. wait. Not at all. Yeah. So. Well, so next time, uh, if you, for our fellow members, our listeners are reading along with us, we're going to talk about uh, fiction again. Um, and again, we're going in chronological order in Port William time. So the next two stories that we'll read, two short stories, Fly Away Breath and A Consent. And those are both in that distant land, and you can also get them in the uh, Library of America collection as well. Want to remind everyone that you can connect with us online at our website, uh, membershippod.com, and on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are our handle for all three of those is Membership Pod. We're at Membership Pod, so... Thanks, y'all, and uh, looking forward to talking with you next time. The Membership Podcast is a proud member of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. All readings from tonight's episode can be found in the new collected poems released by Counterpoint Press.